Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have found that there are two different kinds of pastors. And no, I'm not trying to divide up pastors based on denomination or seminary. No, there's two different kinds of pastors. One kind of pastor, they secretly really dislike having to do weddings. They'll never tell you because, you know, we're all too nice for that, but they really wish they didn't have to be a part of them. And then the second group, they love to be a part of weddings. I'm a part of that second group. I love weddings. I love the traditions that surround weddings. I love uh, the anticipation, these families coming together, the weird blending of all these people from different parts of your life sitting together. I love the food, I love the dancing, I I love the toasts, I love the crab cakes, I love weddings. But my favorite part of weddings are usually the moments that aren't scripted. You know, like, there's this, this wedding, and now, especially nowadays, is like this perfectly curated and crafted moment sponsored by Pinterest where, where people are having this wedding celebration, but there's something that goes off script. And usually, sometimes, that just leads to this wonderful moment. Of course, there's like the rogue ring bearer and the trigger happy flower girl. But there are other moments. You know, the the groom that feels a little faint up on stage or, or the unity candle that's not quite working or the uncle that no one wanted to give a toast ends up giving a toast. And though everyone's nervous, is like this beautiful, heartfelt moment. Those are the kind of moments I'm talking about. It is like almost like the curtain is peeled back in this, this too perfect moment. And the curtain is peeled back and something beautiful is revealed. And sometimes something sacred actually happens. That happens in John 2. In John 2, we find that Jesus is at a wedding with his mother and his friends. And I just love the picture that Jesus was someone that you would invite to your wedding. Like he was a normal person that you would just want at your wedding. 
And after this re reading, I think you really want Jesus at your wedding. Because what we see in Jesus is something profound. It's something beautiful happening here. And as we have been taught to read John differently, we're going to read this story and see not only what happens in the moment, but what happens underneath the moment. So Jesus was a part of the bride and groom's community. And he, he's at this wedding celebrating this momentous occasion. But then that thing that I'm talking about happens. Something goes off script. They run out of wine. Now that could seem like a small thing, but this was a bigger deal in their culture. To host a wedding was a great honor and hospitality, like providing food and drink in their culture was deeply important. Oh, and also these weddings, they didn't just last a night, they lasted several days, sometimes up to seven days. To run out of food or wine in that culture would bring about great shame. It would be an awful way for someone to start their new life as a married couple. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, takes notice. She's observant. She's alert. Uh, she takes a sense of ownership of this moment. And she goes to Jesus and just makes this comment. They're, they have no more wine. And I imagine such a, just a human moment where this is not just a comment. You know that. You know, like, you've been there. That for a mother, a comment can be more like a request or a demand. And that's what's happening here. Like Mary believes that Jesus can do something about this. Has he done it before? We don't know. But she just knows that he can do something about this. And so she makes this known to him. And he replies with kind of an odd response. For us, it's odd. He said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, before we paint Jesus as some Al Bundy-type chauvinist, that's not at all the way in which Jesus said it or how Mary heard it. Uh, Jesus is actually using a word that's like a gentle word. It's a loving word. This the same word, woman, that, uh, that Jesus said upon the cross. His final words to his mother it was, a, it was, a, it was a moment of gentleness. And Jesus is responding in that way. But... Jesus is pushing back on this request by saying, my hour has not yet come. Now, for our reading of the Gospel of John, it's really important for us to know this, that when Jesus, he will often use this phrase, my hour, and what he's talking about is he's looking towards his moment upon the cross. He knows it's in front of him, his going into Jerusalem and laying down his life for us upon the cross. That is what he's talking about. When he says, my hour, it's almost like Jesus knows that once these miracles and signs start happening, that it is set to motion and Jesus is pushing back. But oddly, then he does something about it. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Again, doesn't this just sound like a regular family of like this back and forth, almost passive aggressive interaction that they're having? But the interesting thing is that in seeing this moment and maybe watching what's happening, Jesus is actually compelled to do something. Maybe it was at the request of his mother, or maybe it was just out of compassion. Jesus decides to do something. So he calls over to the servants and says, come over here. I want you to get those water jars, those gigantic water jars, and fill them with water. 
These water jars were huge. They could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So this was no small request that Jesus was making here to go and fill these jars and move them around. But then Jesus goes on to do something even more bizarre. He tells them to take out some of the water and give it to the master of the banquet. Now, the master of the banquet is kind of like the wedding coordinator for us, you know, like with the CIA earpiece, like making everything happen, making sure that the ceremony goes well. And so these servants take some of this water and they draw some out and they give it to this, this host, this master of the ceremony, and he tastes it and then calls over the groom and he says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. 2,000 years ago, people were doing the same thing. You bring out the nice stuff first, and then later on, you bring out the Boone's Farm or the two-buck chuck. You know, like, <laughs> this is what people do. And this master of the ceremony can't believe it. He's, people don't do this. So notice what's happening in this crisis moment at this wedding, this moment that was off script and un unforeseen, is that in the hands of Jesus, what was going to bring about great shame now actually is a place of great honor and celebration and delight. No one does this, but man, this is a different kind of wedding. In verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So John is saying that this wedding in Cana, what happened here is the first of the signs. And what is meant by signs? Well, again, the Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. And in this account, one of the things that John does is he uses a literary device by using this word signs to point to something, to do something. What John does is after having time to reflect on the life of Jesus, he chooses some of the miracles that Jesus did and appoints them the title of signs. And what signs do, signs take these moments of mirac miraculous power and says there's something deeper going on, that this moment is actually revealing something about who Jesus is. So when you get to a sign, you should slow down and pause and appreciate the fact that Jesus cared enough to do the miracle, but also consider what's underneath this. What is this telling us about who Jesus is and the kingdom that Jesus is bringing about? This is a sign. So we should remember the final words of the whole book of John is this. This is in John 20, 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's, that's the whole intent of John writing this, this gospel, is that we would see Jesus and understand who Jesus is. These signs are given to us to make us realize and reflect on the promises that Jesus offers us too. This is not just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. This is the unveiling of the power of Jesus' name, that we could believe in it and have life as well. So if that's the case, what does this moment, this sign, trying to teach us? What is it trying to reveal to us in, in the way of Jesus and his kingdom in this world? 
Well, I think first off, who are the people that had front row seat in seeing the whole thing? Not only that, they were drawn in as co-conspirators in this moment of grace and provision. It was the servants. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now, isn't it like Jesus to reveal himself to those servants first? Those who are easily overlooked, the ones in the shadows, the ones who are not as highly valued among many, they had front row seats to this sign. I don't believe they expected this miracle to happen when they followed Jesus' orders and heeded Mary's words, but they trusted in Jesus, they followed his instructions, and because of that, they were drawn into this moment of grace and goodness. Jesus transformed what they were doing in that moment. And don't you know that when they saw the master of the banquet taste the water, I wonder if they even knew it had turned to wine by then. And for them to see this moment happen and then look at Jesus and think, now that person has the ability to transform things. This is a sign of who Jesus would always be, revealing himself to the least likely, to the lowest, lifting them up and just showing him who he is. But what about these water jars? What's so special about them? So remember the words, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So before people could enter into it in a moment like this, they would have to ceremonially wash themselves, cleanse themselves, so that they can be pure enough to enter. Now, this is the same thing that they would do as they would enter into the, in, enter into the temple. Um, and it's more than just not passing off diseases. It's about, it's a religious act. It's about a religious cleansing of cleansing yourself, purifying yourself, so that you can enter into relationship. Now, as uh, distant as that might be, that practice might be for us, I think many of us are stuck into that same mindset in our own life. I think we, we can identify with these symbols of this religious practice that before I enter into a relationship or in presence of God, I have to clean myself. I have to, to have to purify myself so that I can be deemed worthy enough to, to approach God or worthy enough to be a part of a community. And we know what happens with that. It creates this cycle where where we all of a sudden become really attentive to our own failures and our mistakes. And, and then we try to clean ourselves and to make ourselves presentable before God and before a community. And when you unpack it, when you unpack what's happening here in this cycle that many of us are trapped in, I, I feel like there's two different things that I know in my life that are fueling this cycle. The first is pride. Pride because we can actually think that we have successfully managed our sin and deserve something from God. Like I've, I've taken care of myself and now, now I, I need to receive from God what I want. So give me what I want because I, I did the work. So that's, there's pride at, at, at play here, but there's also another thing, and it's shame. Shame because deep down, I believe I'm flawed, I'm dirty, and I'm just not accepted by God. But maybe if I take care of myself, if I cleanse myself and I make sure I, I make amends and I, and I just am angry at myself for a while and enough time passes, well, then maybe I can take the better version of me to God, the one that's more acceptable. Maybe the God will enjoy that. 
But the interesting thing is for both the fuel of pride and the fuel of shame, they both share something in common is they're both focused on the self, either my earned purity and what I should get from God because of that, or the inescapable impurity that I always end up bringing with me. So Jesus steps into this moment, steps in and creates this first sign here, displaying what his kingdom would always be about. Jesus takes that which symbolizes hollow religious practice, and what does he do with it? Well, he transforms it. Not only does he transform it, but he makes it into wine. Wine, a symbol of joy, of celebration, of delight. Jesus takes that hollow religious cycle and he turns it into a party. This is a sign of Jesus's kingdom. He came to put an end to empty religion so that we could find life and life to the full. He came so that we would be intoxicated by his love and mercy and grace, that our inhibitions would disappear and we would be people of boldness and joy and celebration. This moment, this sign is teaching us that with Jesus, we don't clean ourselves to get to God. We don't earn a right to sit at the table, that we don't impress Jesus with our religious zeal. The basis for our life with God is built not on our performance or the lack thereof. It is built on the abundant grace and mercy of Jesus. It's built on his transforming power. And he doesn't transform us so that he can love us. He transforms us because he already loves us and he wants us to be whole. He wants us to experience hope and joy, to enter into a celebration. That is the miracle that is happening underneath the miracle in Cana. That is what Jesus is seeking to bring, is to take this hollow religious cycle that will never end, that ends up being a burden, and to release and uncork joy and celebration that we could know that we are known and loved in Jesus. So I know for me this week, I, I've, been a, <laughs> I've been riding this roller coaster. I know many of you are. And uh, there's been days where it's been fine. I'm actually seeing there's life here and there's good moments here, but that there's also days where it just seemed gloomy, where I just have the <laughs> actually a little bit of the COVID blues. And what I've realized is um, I'm experiencing a kind of mourning. Like there's this death of what used to be the norm. And I have some anxiety about the unknown future and how long until we get there. But I've been comforted by looking at this moment and seeing how Jesus saw this crisis as a moment where he was compelled to act. I have no doubt that the same Jesus who saw this wedding in Canaan was compelled into action. He sees you. Like he's, he sees you right now. And I know many people are feeling much like this wine at this wedding. You're just depleted. You're exhausted. You're running low. You don't know where to turn. What I, what I know to be true of Jesus, as compelled as he is out of compassion, he wants you to turn to him right now. He, out of love, wants to provide for you not what you used to have, but in this moment, he wants to meet you and to make you new. He wants to introduce his transforming work in your life again so that you could be ushered into a new chapter of life and joy with Christ's presence. 
It's no small thing that this miracle took place at a wedding. That this is where the kingdom of God began. That Jesus' public ministry began in John's gospel. It began at a wedding. For what happens at a wedding? Well, to become one. Names are exchanged. A covenant is made. Promises are given. And this miracle of God happens where a new identity is formed. This is certainly what Jesus did then and wants to do now in your life. He wants to make you new. You are Christ's beloved. He has plans for you. He wants you to step into a relationship not built around the empty religious cycles of our past, but founded on the grace of Christ who loves you and is for you, that you could receive a new name, that you could receive a new identity, be ushered into a new celebration. This is what Christ wants to introduce into our lives. May we just have the courage and the wisdom to be able to receive this grace, leaving behind the ways of the past, that we could be provided for and made new in this moment.